Good morning, brothers and sisters. If you would, please take your Bibles, open with me to Hebrews chapter 8. Today we'll start in verse 6 and read through the end of the chapter, which is verse 13. Hebrews 8, 6 through 13. If you're able, I invite you to stand and honor the reading of God's holy word. When the Lord Jesus would teach, he would say this, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Hebrews 8, starting with verse 6. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with him with them when he says, and this is the quote from Jeremiah 31 that Matt read a moment ago. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each, and and they shall not teach each one his own neighbor, and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. For as the grass will wither and the flowers will fall, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Lord, take this thy holy, inspired, inerrant, and infallible word. And Spirit of God, we ask that you work in our hearts and our minds that we might receive it for what it is, the word of the living God. We pray, God, that you would be honored and glorified through the preaching of your word today. And that we would be taught your goodness and your grace and even see Jesus all the more better. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Friends, please be seated. You know, it was a few weeks ago that, that Pastor Matt introduced us to this whole idea of the word covenant. We remember from his sermon that a covenant... It's a bonding agreement between two parties. And in that agreement, there's vows, there's obligations, there's even promises. You know, one of the things that we do all the time here on earth that is a a perfect picture of a covenant is marriage. Think about your wedding day. Did you make vows? Did you take obligations? I'm sure you did. Think about even the symbol of your wedding vows the ring that is on your finger you know when I look at my ring and maybe when you look at your ring it's a reminder to me that someone betrothed themselves to me someone 
made a covenant with me to, to love me all the days of my life. And I'm so thankful for my wife, Deirdre, and this ring that she put on my finger because it, it reminds me of that covenant that we made on July 15th, 2000. See, so you remember the date. And maybe you put a ring on someone's finger. Maybe you made a vow and a promise to that person and there's obligations one to the other. That's what marriage is, this, this covenant between two parties. Well, friends, I want you to know that the whole idea of covenant reflects something divine, even in our marriages. Think about this. Ephesians 5, when it talks about marriage, it talks about the marriage between a husband and a wife. Ephesians 5 says, is a dim picture of the relationship between Christ and his church, Christ and his bride. And since God chose to compare Christ's relationship to the church, to the relationship between a husband and wife, we can see that marriage, yes, it's a covenantal foundation. It's a picture of what God has done for us. But I want you to know that this whole idea of covenant it stretches through the entire Bible. It doesn't just start with Jesus in the New Testament. No, it reaches all the way from Genesis to Revelation. We'll put this picture up on the screen. In covenant relationships, God says to us, I will be your God and you will be my people. And you look at this picture and you see it, uh, well, it looks like a less than sign. Well, what it is, it is God opening up his revelation to you and to me over time. And you see that over time, God opens up more and more and more and more revelation about himself as he's in covenant with us. Think about in the garden with Adam. God made a covenant. He said to Adam and to Eve, through you and through your seed, through the seed of woman, the head of the serpent will be crushed. That God made a promise that through the line of Adam, one day he would raise up someone who would crush the head of that old serpent, Satan. And of course, that was Jesus. God made a covenant with Noah to save him and his people and to never destroy the earth by water again. Even gave them a sign of that covenant in the rainbow. With Abraham, God said to Abraham, through you and your seed, all nations will be blessed. I will bless those who bless you, but I will also curse those who curse you. And from your line, Abraham, will be one who through all nations will be blessed. That, of course, is Jesus. In Moses, God gave Moses the law there at Sinai, gave him the Ten Commandments. Many of the rules, obligations you read about in Leviticus and the remaining books of the law. We'll talk about that more in, in, in just a moment. God gave us David in the Old Testament. In 2 Samuel 7, God made a covenant with David. He said, David, through your line, there's going to be a king who sits on your throne forever. His kingdom will never end, of course, that is Jesus. And all of these covenants are taking place to bring us the ultimate greatest person to fulfill all of these covenants, and that is Jesus Christ, the seed of Abraham, the one born of woman, the king from the line of David who would sit on the throne. Jesus is the fulfillment of this great 
great covenant of grace. But as you remember, in the book of Hebrews, this author is writing to these people who know so much of this covenant with Moses. The Jews being there at Mount Sinai, God giving them the law and them holding on to this Mosaic covenant for years and years, these rituals of priests and sacrifices. God comes to the author and this author writes to these Hebrews to teach them about this Mosaic covenant and how actually there was a lot of faltering going on with this covenant. Think about it. God gave Moses the law. The people were to obey the law, yet they faltered, not because of God, but because of the people. In fact, as we read the Old Testament, the Bible calls the people of God, that calls Israel an adulterous generation, an adulterous people. Go back to that idea of marriage. Husband and wife, God saying that He is the divine bridegroom, that we are his bride. What the Old Testament is teaching us is that the bride was an adulterous bride, even in the Old Testament, not fulfilling the bride's obligation to love and honor God the way the bride should. So what would happen? What would God do with his adulterous bride called Israel and Judah? Would he just let them go to be destroyed forever? The Bible says no. Jeremiah 31, what Matt read a few moments ago, God says, I have not forgotten you. Even though you were an adulterous people, I've got a plan. Even though you left me, God says, I'm coming after you. In fact, so much that God says to the Gentiles, I'm going to engraft you into this plan. In Romans chapter 11, God says, even those outside of Israel, the Gentiles, will be part of this plan that I will die for you so, church, you can know that you are part of this new covenant. Dr. Kruger said it this way, the promises God made to Israel and Judah are the promises he made to you and to me. But the author reviews this Mosaic covenant. What was wrong with it? Well, it was faulty. It was faulty because it just couldn't accomplish what it wanted to accomplish. Think about this. Could the blood of bulls and goats cover your sin? No. Could an earthly priest properly represent you before God? No. It was also faulty because we, well, even those in the Old Testament were sinners separated from God, breaking the promise that they made to God. In other words, they were a cheating spouse. Look at it this way. Hebrews 7 11 and 19 says, Now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek? After then one named after the order of Aaron. For the, for the law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. In other words, why in the world are we having this new covenant? Because the old one didn't work. And instead of God just leaving his people, he says, I'm going to make a new one. A new covenant with the people. And this covenant is going to be so much better 
than the old. You have heard Matt and I say for weeks, weeks and weeks, what? Jesus is better. So don't give up. You actually see that in the words of the text today. Take your bulletin and look on the back. And I don't want you to be shocked because there's 10 points on the back of your bulletin. I've already heard from some people this morning saying, oh my goodness, I'm very worried. Pastor Adam has 10 points this morning. Just be glad about one thing. It was 12. I reduced it to 10. But in all seriousness, what I want to do is just take this time and walk you through these 10 different things. And I want to show you why the Lord Jesus Christ is so much better, even than everything that preceded him, better than Adam, Abraham, Moses, and David, than Noah. Jesus is so much better. But we're going to focus primarily on Moses, on that Mosaic covenant. And let's talk about these, this question. How is this new covenant better? How is it better than that Mosaic covenant? First of all, Jesus is a better mediator. What's a mediator? The mediator is the man in the middle. You know, in the Old Testament, God gives us many examples of mediators. He gives us prophets and priests. So a prophet and priest stands in the middle between God and God's people. Okay? The prophet stands with his back towards God because God is behind him speaking through the prophet to God's people. So the prophet speaks on behalf of God to the people of God. The priest stands this way. He speaks with the testimony of the people behind him to God. Okay, We learn in the Bible that Jesus is both prophet and priest. But think about this. In the Old Testament, when Aaron went into the Holy of Holies, was he just a man or was he the God-man? He was just a man. He had no eternal component. He was a man doing his best to reach up to God on behalf of the people bringing these sacrifices. But he was just a man reaching up to God. He wasn't God reaching down to man, was he? But in Jesus Christ, you have both. Yes, you have Jesus, the man who reaches up to God, but you also have Jesus as fully God reaching down to man. Do you see the beauty of that? Jesus is a better mediator because he did something Aaron couldn't do. Jesus was man, yes, but he was also God. I was talking to Blair earlier this morning. Have you ever read through the, the books of Exodus, Leviticus, and um, Numbers, Deuteronomy? And you read all those laws. Do you read that and it, it feels weighty to you? There's a reason it feels weighty to you. It's a lot to do. And it's something that no man can accomplish perfectly, ever. Did you know that Jesus, as our mediator, he did something that you can't do? He did all of that perfectly? I love saying this about Jesus. Is Jesus, you did something that we could never do. We needed a new mediator to be a perfect prophet, a perfect priest. Jesus, that is you. He's a better mediator. But secondly, he's a better priest. 
The Bible teaches us he's a priest in the order of Melchizedek instead of Levi. Do you all remember that sermon? That was a very detailed sermon. Simply put, Melchizedek was a priest king who seemed to live forever. He didn't, but he had no genealogy written down. So Jesus is our priest king who certainly lives forever. We remember that Abraham tied to Melchizedek, not Melchizedek to Abraham. We remember Melchizedek blessed Abraham and not Abraham blessing Melchizedek. So Melchizedek is greater than Abraham and Jesus is a priest in the line of Melchizedek. But even if all that doesn't make sense, I hope this does. As a priest, when Aaron entered the Holy of Holies, did he have to make a sacrifice for himself? Yeah, he did. Because Aaron was a sinner. But did Jesus have to make a sacrifice for himself? No, because he was perfectly sinless. He was the perfect priest who didn't even have to sacrifice for himself. Jesus is better. Three, perfect or better representation. November's coming. Actually, this week's coming, right? You get to vote. Wouldn't it be great to have a perfect representative? How many, how many items have you got in your mailbox in the past couple of weeks? I'm this, I'm that, I'm this, I'm that. Are any of those men or women, are they perfect? Will they perfectly represent you? Do you, in your mind, have perfect representation figured out yourself? Wouldn't it be great if the person who represented you was perfect? In the Old Testament, what did they use as representatives? Goats and bulls and lambs. Did they properly represent humanity? They didn't. You see, Jesus didn't come to us as a bull or a goat or a ram because he wanted to properly represent you and me. He had flesh and blood just like you do. He's tempted just as you are. He walks and talks and cries and bleeds. He perfectly represents you, but he represented you before God sinlessly. Think about that. Think about a perfect representative. Friends, that is Jesus. Aaron went into the most holy place and he dripped the blood of bulls and goats. That wasn't a representative of you. But what did Jesus do? He went in and dripped his own blood. Giving you great representation, even before God. Here's what Hebrews 9.12 says. By the way, this is my favorite verse in Hebrews. This verse summarizes so much of Hebrews. Memorize this verse. He, speaking of Jesus, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood thus securing an eternal redemption. He's a better representative, which leads us to point four. He has better blood. How much power was in the blood of a bull or a goat or a ram? How much sin did that blood erase? None. None. Hebrews 10.4 says, the blood of these animals... It can't take away your sin. But the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus will take away your sin. 
you, you want a fun search, search the blood of Jesus in Scripture. There are so many verses that talk about the powerful blood of Jesus. I have a question. What can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Here's what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. In Him we have redemption. How? Through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Do you remember last week I put that dirty shirt up on the screen? And I talked about how I had a dirty shirt and no matter how many times I washed that shirt, the stain would still be on it. There's only one thing, dear friends, that can get the stain of sin off of your life. And it's not the blood of bulls and goats. It's not what you do. It's not how many good works you do or how many times you come to church. It's not having your name on a roll. It is the blood of Jesus Christ and Him alone that can wash away your sin. You receive that gift by grace through faith in His name. He has better blood. Number five, He has better accomplishment. Every December, I think, it's on its way. It's coming any day now. It's going to show up in my mailbox. And that would be my car insurance bill. What do you anticipate in your mailbox? Whether it's an insurance bill or a tax bill, every single one of us, I bet, get an annual reminder that something's due, right? And even though I pay my car insurance this year, am I going to get another annual reminder in December? Yes, I am. And the next December, and the next December, and the next December, and it's never going to end. That must have been what the, the, the Levites thought when they were serving in the tabernacle and in the temple. Every single year, I've got to bring this animal behind the, this curtain, and I've got to sacrifice it. And I did it last year, I'm doing it this year, and I'm going to have to do it next year. This is never going to end. This, this feels like an annual reminder of sin, and it was. And it was there to point them forward to this cross where Jesus would come and bring accomplishment to what they started. Let's look at that verse once again. I told you a moment ago, Hebrews 9.12. He entered once for all. That's once for all time. Once for all time. How many times did the priest enter the most holy place? Every single year. And it was an annual reminder of their sin. But Jesus says, I am so much better than that system. I'm going to enter into my Father's presence once for all time. And I'm going to lay down my life for my people with my powerful blood that's actually going to wash their sins away. Friends, Jesus is so much better. And that leads us to number six, better access. Better access. Who could go into that holy of holies into the tab in the tabernacle? Who could go? Could just anybody go? No. Only the high priest. Could he go anytime he wants? No. Leviticus 16 is very clear. He can come once a year on the Day of Atonement. He can come once a year and God will come down and manifest His presence. Everybody else 
stayed out, right? Everybody else stayed out of that presence of God. When Jesus died on the cross, what happened in the temple? What happened? Remember that when, when the priest went in, he had to go behind this curtain, right? Into the Holy of Holies. What happened in the temple when Jesus died on the cross? That curtain that separated the holy place from everything else, that curtain that separated you from God was ripped in half from top to bottom, from heaven down. And God says, through what Jesus has done, guess who can go into the Holy of Holies now? You can. Not because of what you've done or because of what these animals have done, but because of what Jesus has done on your behalf. Do you see how much better Jesus is? That's why God says to you, come boldly to the throne of grace, even in your prayers. You can come directly into the Holy of Holies and have full access to God. You have so much better access. Hebrews 10, 19, we'll put that on the screen. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Do you see the blood of Jesus keep, keeps coming up here? Because that is the means by which we're able to enter his blood. Number seven, I say a better pouring out. A better pouring out. In the Old Testament, God does give us the Holy Spirit of God, but not in full measure. God on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, pours out his spirit upon us. You see it in Acts chapter 2, people speaking in different languages, the gospel going forth. Friends, in this new covenant, God gives the full measure of his spirit to us. That's why he gives us the great commission to be filled with his spirit and go out. We'll talk about that more in just a moment, but to go out and take the gospel instead of coming in to Jerusalem, go out into the world. Number eight, a better temple. Think about this. Passover, these feasts, where are people coming? They're coming towards the temple, right? They're coming to Jerusalem, to the temple. They're coming to where the Holy of Holies is within the temple. But what does God say about the temple now in this new covenant? that we have Jesus Christ and the full measure of the Spirit poured out upon us, where's the temple? Where's the temple? The temple's in your heart. The temple's in your life. Here's what Paul writes, 1 Corinthians 6, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You know, I'm reminded a lot, of, a lot of times from this verse, just practically. I'm not my own. If Jesus Christ is your Lord, say with the Apostle Paul, I'm not my own. Because God lives in me. This is God's temple. And what I need to do with my body is that which is pleasing in the sight of my God. Not in the sight of me, because I am not my own. I'm bought with the price. And just as God dwelt with Aaron in the temple in the Holy of Holies, God has now filled you with his spirit and dwells with you, dear friends. And even as we walk through this earth, 
It's like the temple of God is going where you are because God indeed is with you. Number nine, better tablets. You remember when God gave Moses the law, he wrote it on tablets of stone. Very external, right? Very external. Kind of no heart in it. It's just externally driven. But in this new covenant, where does God write his law? He writes it on your heart. He writes it on your heart. It's part of the Holy Spirit being in your life. And God himself is teaching you his law as he writes it in your mind, as he writes it in your heart. So when you read God's word and do God's word, it's not just something external, like on a tablet of stone, but it's something internal because God's changed your heart. God has changed your life. Jesus is better. And then finally, I say a better expansion. A better expansion. Here's what Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Think about it this way. In the Old Testament, things were pointing inwardly, right? Come to Jerusalem. Come to the temple. Come here for Passover. But now, in this new covenant, where's the temple? <laughs> in your life. And God says, take that temple, and now don't go this way. Go, go this way. We're here right now on Sunday, right, to, to bring our temples together to worship God. But as we walk out these doors here in a minute, the Bible says, go. Go into the world. Make disciples. Start in Jerusalem. Go to Judea. Go to Samaria. Go to the ends of the earth. What a blessing it was to hear Mike and Laura stand here at this pulpit today and talk to us how they're doing this. Going to Ghana, going here, going there. I'm going to take the word of God out because now there's a better expansion all over this world. Take the gospel of Jesus Christ to others. You can even find in this new commandment. This is so, so missional. Well, friends, what can you take away from this sermon, this text today? First of all, know this. God knows what it's like to have an adulterous wife, an adulterous spouse. If you ever think God can't identify with me, think about that for a moment. God went into covenant with the people, but those people would not honor him. Yet instead of leaving his spouse, God says, I'm going to make a new covenant with that spouse. Even though they turn to other gods, I'm not going to leave them. I'm going to come after them. I'm going to give them my grace and my mercy. I'm going to do for them what they can't do for themselves. And instead of sending them an annual reminder of their sin, as you read here from verse 12, God says, I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. What more could you ask for? God says, I'm not going to send you an annual reminder of your sin, but I'm going to take away your sin through my, through the, my son, Jesus Christ, and I'm going to remember your sin. No, no more. Because this new covenant is so much better. You have a better mediator, a better priest, a better representative. You have better blood, better accomplishment, better access to God. 
you have the full measure of the Spirit. You are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. Tablets, that's your heart, not stone. So go take the gospel into this world that needs Jesus. And friends, in this whole process, God says to us, yes, I will be your God and you will be my people. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your love and grace to us in Jesus and how through Christ you have given us this new covenant. And Lord, we remember those who were stuck with this annual reminder, those who were trying to live out every single detail of thy law, yet they found they couldn't do it. And we apply that even to our lives today. Oh God, we try to do this and to do that, but Lord, let us see clearly that Jesus is better and that we need to put our faith and our trust in Jesus and in Jesus alone. Lord, we love you and we thank you for loving us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.